and welcome to Comic Talkers, where comics is always the top of our discussion. My name is Brandon. And I'm Mary. And I can't be happier. This is the first time, I can actually say for the first time ever, I pitched a comic to Mary to read. And it is- that I had never touched. Yeah. <laughs> Feels oh. A little little different, huh? <laughs> I had also never even heard about the movie for this comic, <laughs> um, which Brandon was on my case about like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, now, granted, um, of course, we are talking about Road to Perdition. Um, for many fans, you guys know this is one of my favorite movies that people forget. Um, back in our movie month this ranked on my top five as number one for com or movies that people don't realize are based off comics um road to perdition was a movie made in 2002 um the comic came out four years prior though um in 1998 um written by max collins or max allen collins and art by richard pyers rayner um the movie does star tom hanks paul newman daniel craig jude law it is one of my favorite stories of all time, um, and but there are problems with it. Um, there, and we're going to talk about some of them. I know later on about the movie and difference, and I'll kind of explain some of the differences that fans were okay with, and some differences that fans were not okay with. Um, I can already say that the ones you described to me like ten minutes ago, I do not like <laughs> any of them. Um, I think it cheapens the story, and I think it kind of ruins it. I'm not going to lie; um, makes me not want to watch it. <laughs> So let me let me start right away with you, Mary. Um, what was your initial take when you first saw the story? Just opening up the first few pages to actually getting into the story and finishing it. So I love the art style. I'm a huge fan of crosshatching as a form of shading. Um, and I think it's especially striking in all black and white like this entire comic is. Um and I really enjoyed the the opening line, uh, the not the you must choose a road for yourself by Kazuo Koika, but the um the actual first like line that we see written in script, which is mm -hmm. my memories like some people's dreams are in black and white. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's a really poignant line, especially for talking about this era of the Great Depression. Um, but also especially for talking about the themes of a story like this that are so heavily based in the concept of the commandment thou shalt not kill and the very black and white nature of that in the way that while the comic is entirely in black and white, nowhere in the illustrations are there shades of gray like the main character's father tries to paint. Yeah. Now, that's a... Uh, there is something that I enjoy in this story, and it's when he finds. So what, let's let's explain a little bit, shall we? The main part of the story, Michael Sullivan, which is the main character of the story, um, is a very religious man, but he's also the chief enforcer for an Irish mob family. Um, one day, his oldest son, Michael Jr., pretty much decides to go out and tag along on a mission without his father knowing. Um, little does he know that he is about to witness something that he would never thought his father would do, um, which, like Mary says, the whole point of the story, one of the commandments, thou shalt not kill. He sees his father kill many people in cold blood. So, of course, the son of the main mob boss is with them as well, um, notices somebody's watching them. 
and they chase him out in the middle of the rain and all of a sudden Sullivan realizes it's his son and he of course they think they can wash it underneath the bridge you'll never speak of this don't ever talk about this again so on and so forth well the family took it under their own will to put a hit out not only on Sullivan but his family um and they are successful in killing his wife and his youngest son, um, but it is Junior and O'Sullivan that are on the run. And it's a great story of not only revenge, not, you know, going against the morals of what you've learned, but it's also a good story of redemption. And I think, I think too, that it's really interesting how it is a story that is both about family, but without family really present. Yeah. Um. Because it's really interesting to see the narrator talk about how he and his father are a family, but you don't see any family dynamic between them, with the exception of the father being protective, but only to an extent. Right. It's it's the whole thing. Like that's something they bring up in the comic too, is that the O'Sullivans have had something with the Loonies for quite some time. And he has always felt loyal to them. So in some ways it's like, and I think that's another way the movie does really good too in explaining that a little bit more is that he looks at the loonies more as family than sometimes his own family. And it, it's hard to explain that a little bit more, but I, I think they kind of show a little bit better in the movie that part of it, that he always looked at the, the loonies as family. You know, if it wasn't for them, he wouldn't be where he is now. You know, and it, it, it's a great concept to bring up. Let me ask you this. Do you think that's what works for this story? Is that he is there, but he's not there? I think one of the things that I enjoy about it, as someone who has studied kind of like the uh, the gang sort of like organized crime of the Great Depression, because it's so interesting, especially when you're looking at the Midwest rather than the coastal cities. Because of course, this is during Vegas's big boom, and this is during... Um, this huge influx of organized crime that we're seeing in coastal cities like Boston, New York, Baltimore. Um, but in the Midwest, it's a little bit different because this is right during the height of the beginning of really the automobile trade. Mm -hmm. um, and the automobile trade is still, pretty, is still going pretty decently even during the Depression because there are now all of these people that are buying so many cars. <laughs> um, and, and so, I don't know, the Midwest is a really interesting place to set a story like this, because, of course, when you think about gangsters, you do not ever think, really, unless you are specifically talking about Al Capone, you don't even think about the state of Illinois. You certainly don't think about Iowa. No um Kansas, you would you would never think of these rust belt states um and i think it's really interesting to have chosen that setting for this story um well it, like it, the tri-cities especially like i don't know that was such a interesting way to go about it uh, yeah I, I i don't know something about setting it in iowa which is a state that is first of all hardly discussed at all anywhere at any time other than football <laughs> if you live in iowa i am so sorry but you know i'm correct <laughs> there goes our fans from iowa tanking i know i'm just <laughs> i i would like to say that i hear about iowa but i don't 
um even i was not even a meme among the 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 teens now it's ohio um but i don't know it's 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 interesting um because it's also like barely talked about during the 1930s mm -hmm. um where it was still a relatively newer state due to how far west it was um so it's no, it's interesting to sort of see the connections between the rural farmers mm -hmm. and this gang activity that I think is really central. Um, that dichotomy is really central to this entire story is how close these urban communities are to the rural towns that allow the O'Sullivans to sort of get refuge. Mm -hmm. And sort of those are the places where they're seeking this redemption. Whereas the larger cities are very much being framed as more of home, but also where the depravity is. And you bring up a really good point, because when you do think of mobsters like Al Capone and everybody like that, you don't I mean, even with Al Capone, you're barely thinking Chicago. Yeah. People tend to just go, oh, Al Capone. Like people don't really think of, they go Alcatraz. They don't go yeah. Chicago. Right. They and, don't really think about where the St. Valentine's Day massacre was. They're just like, aha, that thing. You know. yeah. Unless you study Al Capone, you're not going to be like, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa. Um, no. <laughs> like, it's not your first thought. But when you really think about it, the people that you do think of when it comes to like the Midwest and going through states like that are like robbers, like Bonnie and Clyde. You know, you have moments like that that make more sense, but then it's, I agree with you. The fact being, and that's what I thought too about this, is that you don't really see gang activity like this, especially profitable gang activity from somewhere like Iowa. Not and I feel like the thing, the thing is, is that it's there, but it's not in media. Like it's not in anything that is consumable by the average person who is not like, I'm really interested in 1930s gang activity. <laughs> no. no. Because by and large, we've created these narratives of gang activity being something that is uniquely New Yorker Italian, or <laughs> that is like the Irish in Boston, or that is the Italians in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Like it's by and large never here's what's happening in large cities that are newly large who is building them and we tend to think about that really only for las vegas because las vegas already has a reputation as being a hotbed of depravity <laughs> and also it is quite famously built by the mob whereas some of these other midwestern cities do not have that reputation due to the midwest's more general kind of nice almost ditzy reputation when you look at how it's portrayed right. um well and you know this is something i like in the book but i especially like in the movie a little bit better is it shows you how much looney has done not just for the people around him but for the city and shows you how scary he can be you know that he's got pretty much power over everything in that city and i think the the book does it a little bit more where it's like I own the paper. I could talk bad about you all I want. And they don't do that in the movie. It's just, he's like, he's helped all these people be better, everything like that, be successful. 
And but at what cost? Yeah. And on top of it, one of the other big points you bring up is um, when after the killings, right? Um, they go to one of the house or goes to the house um, before they kill their lawyer and everything like that. And one of the big things they bring up is if I'm not back in an hour, go to this church. Don't go to this one because they will give up your sanctuary. And you That's will. One of the really interesting things, too, is that that is the only time in this entire book that a Catholic church in particular is not seen as sanctuary. And it's only due to the geographic location of that church. Now, there is one part I want to bring up before we go back to that is after Michael witnesses the murder or the, the shooting. Um, there is a really good scene that, you know, he, he all he wants to do is see what his dad did. He wanted to be proud of what his dad did. And and of course, he goes, Michael or the father goes it's natural for a boy to want to be proud of his father but son what i do for a living is not to be admired and when junior goes then why did you do it papa and he goes you know what a soldier is and when junior says sure of course michael goes i am like a soldier and a soldier does his duty and when junior goes even killing and he goes that's what soldiers do I think, I think too, um, there's a lot to do with O'Sullivan's position as a veteran of the Great War. Mm -hmm. well, that's why I was specifically, specifically page 14. Mm -hmm. and it says, but there was another side to my father, though he never spoke of it. He was a proud veteran of the Great War. And I think that is such an interesting character choice given how most men who returned from the great war thought about their service and the fact that there's an entire genre of literature in the west about how absolutely pointless that entire conflict was and the turmoil that it put the vast majority of men who served in that war how much it distressed them the number of men who took their own lives is highly documented the carnage was incalculable um the amount of men who came back forever changed physically and mentally um very few would ever have described themselves as proud you know and i think that's a really interesting insight into the way that o'sullivan is being idolized by his son before we even get to the way that his father tries to pull in these shades of gray in something as simple as killing because he is now still viewing life as one great war right and and it's another way to put it too because it you know after he says this he goes junior goes it seems wrong the church teaches us thou shall not kill and michael states the church is right but i have a duty to my family as well that means i have to work and being a soldier son, that's the only work I know. And when Junior goes, I don't want to be a soldier, he goes, good. So it's like, it's you kind of sense that, like you said, it's that whole point of what he might have went through is not what he want his son to go through at as well. It's, it's a really interesting take on this. Now, after this, of course, you know, 
the the wife comes out oh how you know how are you and he pretty much just stays quiet and he just tells him we don't need to talk about it let's go to bed and they, i yeah it's now let's talk about the turn now after shortly after this looney does put a head out on him um pretty much gets sullivan the no takes it to one of their kind of their prostitute rings and pretty much tells him like you kill sullivan all your sins will be forgiven and of course they epically fail because sullivan's badass sorry i'm just gonna say it and kills all of them. what was your take on this on the on the... I'm gonna be so honest in that I got so annoyed with O'Sullivan the entire comic. Um, I did not view this so much as O'Sullivan being particularly good, and I viewed this as, wow, they hired idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and I did this every single time there was a fight. I so This is a scene that I kind of went the same way, like, why wouldn't you have at least but again it's a whole thing showing his loyalty but even then it's like loyalty can only take you so far when there's a gun i'm sorry i'm sorry this was stupid and, and on top of it your son just witnessed a hit why wouldn't you go i need to watch my back a little bit more why would you agree to go somewhere unarmed let me tell you the sad thing in the movie is uh, I'm going to tell you what happens in this movie. <laughs> he actually takes a gun with him and he literally tells the bodyguard, you might want to sweep me because I have a gun on. And literally it was in his age. <laughs> yeah, you're just selling me not watching this movie, Brandon. I know you like it, but I at this point, I don't think I can handle it. Rereading this, I literally went, why would you even tell him well, if he's not going to sweep you, then why not do it? But literally the gun, he just takes the gun out of the newspaper. Like literally you can see the gun barrel popping out. During that scene where the, he's reading the letter, he kind of gives a side note to his guard. Just like he does in the book. And then he literally, you can see a gun sitting underneath the newspaper. And literally Sullivan grabs it, shoots him right in the head and shoots his body. There's only two people in that room. And then that's when he goes home and notices his wife and his son are killed. Um, the, yeah, the, that was, yeah, the movie was pretty brutal about their deaths. Um, but they, you know, of course they go to the Looney's house pretty much to, pretty much like kind of set, send a message to him. Like, you want war? You just ganged it. Now, something I'm going to talk about, because we are going to go to Chicago here soon. What was your take on incorporating people like Al Capone and Nettie? I thought it was really smart. I thought it was a great way to point out the extreme interconnectedness of organized crime. Because that's the that's the thing is that all of these families, all of these crime families, they interact. They know each other. They have to do business deals because they are all involved in expanding and eventually they're going to expand into the same territories. Um, so it's better to have allies than enemies, which means that your operations have to be profitable for both parties, which was a huge part of this plot. Um, and I thought that was particularly well done. However, I did think that like, it would like, come on, Al Capone's guys are getting taken out by this guy. Yeah. Now that is- This guy? 
But I'm actually going to say something right now. I like Nitty. Now, Nitty, it, it, it's he is kind of the middle guy. Like, hey, but he's the one. Those that can- are always the guys I think are most interesting in organized crime. Um, I I think it's fascinating to look at not the guys on top and not the guys on the bottom, like the grunts, whatever. Right. Like, I, they, I'm sure like there's all sorts of really interesting reasons that people go into this and especially those who work in the slowest run. But I think it's like the guys in the middle where it's like, are they trying to go up? Right. Or are they just happy to not be on the bottom? And see, the best part about Nitty too is he is trying to help. Sullivan. With He's that, like the only decent guy in this entire him and Al Capone are like the only decent men. You would never think that. <laughs> I mean, if you know anything about Al Capone, you're not quite as surprised. Right. But but when you really come down to this, where somebody is attacking their interests and everything, they're not really doing tons to help Looney. And they hide them or help them hide, but then even then they kind of give them away. It's like, oh yeah, who cares? You know, I it, got him, but <laughs> one of those things I love Nitty in this, and the reason I like Nitty is just because he is still trying to give that leeway to Sullivan, like, hey, kind of he's like, trying to give him like professional courtesy, like, hey, we're willing to help you because of your service to us as well, but you're attacking our interests and you continue this there is pretty much going to be hell to pay and at this point a man is dangerous when he has nothing to lose and at this point pretty much pretty much takes everybody out now i agree with that for how his life comes to an end i kind of asked that too like how could you beat all these guys up and yet the last one shoots you right in the back and you're dead or shoot it, how, like how did you not see that coming yeah, yeah but like yeah it's now but okay now let's talk about um ness because ness does show up too elliot ness now of course if anybody does not know he Elliot ness is a very big fbi agent um one of them that is well if you guys watch the movie untouchables even though it's not accurate so please do not think that's historically accurate and how that movie is portrayed played by kevin costner now elliot ness is in this movie and he does help sullivan or sullivan helps him and tells him where looney can be found and in some ways kind of giving him that incentive like this is just one step closer to get who you which is and what was your take on Ness's portrayal in this? Because not everything I feel is always accurate in this too. See, I'm not. I'm not really into the FBI. Um, I'm gonna be completely honest. I'm not interested in law enforcement stories. I don't want to read them. I don't want to see them. I don't want them to be made. <laughs> um, well, let's put it this way: he's not in the movie, so there's one plus. We'll take we'll take that. Yeah, we'll take the plus. Um, although I do think that his lack of involvement in the movie again, I feel like that not being there based on why he's not there, I still don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's out half a point plus half, one half. half. Give it. Give me a <laughs> seven five out of that. Okay, at least we got something. No, because it takes away too much from the themes. Okay, I see what you're saying. 
Okay. Um, we'll get into that when we start talking about more about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't really know anything about Ness historically. Um, again, not interested. Don't really care. Um, but I thought that the character um, was interesting. Um, because it very much is that kind of like, yeah, this is for real how federal law enforcement handled organized crime. Um, oh, you have something I could use to take down someone more important than you? Give it over and you're fine. Um, they would, they, you could, you could get away with anything if you had like $20 in a dream. Like, <laughs> and, um, I mean, that's kind of really evident here. I mean, they know that O'Sullivan is like the biggest enforcer for organized crime, like in the country. Like he keeps getting loaned out all over the country and they're like, oh, you've got some checks. <laughs> <laughs> like that just for real was how it went <laughs> it's there's a there's a great uh buzzfeed unsolved quote from um the one where they could talk about the uh the the murders at Kenny cabin where um i believe it's shane he like you get away with anything be like oh you murdered a guy you got 70 bucks and that is like exactly how this went down. Um, it's, it's, oh, you murdered hundreds of people for this guy? You got a few checks with his name on it, though. So, like, I suppose we're even. <laughs> um, got your back. <laughs> and then, <laughs> but um, I do think I do think that Mortinus's actual role, which is more than just getting O'Sullivan off scot free, basically. Right. Uh, um come join my team like we'll help you <laughs> it's i mean it's not even so much that it's more yeah we'll go do this thing for you um and he's almost like oh we're not gonna he's like you're not gonna go kill him yourself and o'sullivan's this is my this is my thing with the themes is that like this is where o'sullivan really gets into these shades of gray because he's like, no, I don't want to kill old man Looney. I want him to live with the knowledge that his actions are why he has to live knowing his son is dead. But he hasn't killed the son yet. And again, again, Ness just lets him go. That was like one of my favorite scenes too. Is he sits there, he goes, oh, he knows this guy has killed yeah. hundreds of people. And he's like, he's going to go kill this guy who killed his wife and child? And on top of Oh, that, well, you know, look, I got somewhere to be. He, and he does that to Looney, too, when he goes and captures him. And he sits there and he goes, hey, um, yeah, um, Sullivan's going after your son. <laughs> like, <laughs> he gives him, like, one really half, half-assed attempt at convincing him to tell him where his son is he's like i mean if i guess if you could tell us where he is we could protect him like as if o'sullivan doesn't know how to contact you or find you and then and then looney's like no he's safe with the capones it's like you know what he's been doing to the capones he surely you've received the news because you keep moving your kid around now to go from a funny point <laughs> to a more serious point, something that we've talked about earlier is the relationship between Junior and and Michael. 
you know, I call him Junior because I don't want to, I don't want to mix him up, you know. So Junior and Michael, um, kind of relationship building throughout the story. Um, Mary, what was your take on, especially after um, Junior shoots one of the criminals that's shooting at his father and kills him? What was your take? Yeah, so this was this was actually one of my favorite scenes in the comic. Mm -hmm. um because i think up until this point this is really the turning point for the relationship where it becomes less father son mm -hmm. and more um hitman partner <laughs> um because this is really where o'sullivan i think he hits the point of no return where he realizes that he can no longer be right the kind father he wanted to be he, yeah. he had been living a double life up until that point, um, up until his son sees what he does for a living. And he, up until his son actually kills a man, has been living in this fantasy mm -hmm. that he can continue to do both, despite taking his son with him on these jobs. And, and, and knowing that his son idolizes him, Mm -hmm. And that his son wants to be like him. You know, one of my favorite things, and I love this in the movie too, is they do have him learn how to drive. And still one of my favorite scenes is when, you know, one of their first bank heights, he's very slow driving. He goes, you could speed up anytime today, you know, and then all of a sudden, then he starts getting better and better each bank heights. Um, I enjoy... I think I enjoyed their relationship more after the shooting in the comic than before, because again, it's that whole sense of there. He, it's like, you have to teach him. He's not pretending him. anymore. Exactly. He has to chase to teach him like the harsh realities of what he has done. And now it's like, in some ways it's kind of like, it's too late to turn back now. And especially when he does it. And what does he say? Please forgive me you know to to his wife it, it is it is very i i think too is that we're seeing so much of junior's like idolization of his father from the very beginning because he's like oh he would never do that to my mother he adored my mother and then you see the relationship between him and his wife and it is nothing but cold yeah it, it um it is not affectionate it's not warm mm -hmm. um it's it doesn't it feels like he is just so caught up in this idea of who he thinks his father is that he never until after his father is gone mm -hmm. and as we see at the end after he becomes a priest um that he doesn't like really understand his father is flawed you know, that is something I will admit. I did not like the priest twist. Like I'm gonna be honest, I thought it made sense. Um, I actually really liked that because we see this emphasis on the Catholic Church um as a safe haven, as a place of redemption, mm -hmm. and these priests as a form of absolution. And the way that 
as his father petals shades of gray, the priest's faces are described as being white when they come out of the whatever it's called, where you do the confession thing. Yeah, confession. <laughs> Confessional. There we go. And um, the way that we then see um, Junior turn closer to that shade of white, to that black and white thinking as he ages, as he is no longer in this environment where his father's approval is the most important thing to him because he no longer has a father to seek that from. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And I think too that, and again, this is, this is one of those things where my grandfather is from Ireland. So I have a little, a little insight into the whole, that side of this too, is that like, there is a common running gag um, in Irish families that if you have multiple sons, one of them has to become a priest. <laughs> and, um, well, there's only one son left. <laughs> right it... um and that's especially common in this period um like i have friends who are catholic and that is still a thing that is said in their families like currently mm -hmm. um but i also think too that the way that um we we sort of see junior especially as he transitions and as he gets older he sort of comes to realize what i don't think his father ever did about the great war is that the pointlessness of it the pointlessness of death especially when his father dies um i think he realizes that this was literally all for nothing it because was... nothing really changed right and it was still just a matter of those with power and those with money making deals and screwing over everyone below them including those who had been loyal to them and so while his father was proud of that kind of service junior very much didn't know no longer saw the glory or the honor in it and i think that helps inform part of his decision to move into a role where he can't really even be expected to serve in any sort of military capacity he is about as far from a soldier as you can get you know, it, when it comes to him being a priest, I never really thought about it in that eyes. And the reason is, is just because it kind of just felt like for him to be, like, to me, I would look for a life of peace and tranquility. And I think that's where I like the spin of the movie a little bit, where they make him a farmer. Well, is that is that not more or less what a priest does? In some ways, yeah. And yes, in ways, yes. And I agree with what you're saying. I think for me, the only reason I like the farm twist is just because, again, he's going back out to the country. He's away from all that nonsense, and he's finding peace with him. See, I would, I would, I would, I would say yes, but we don't see him as a priest in a major city. Got a point. Okay. We see him coming into this after being moved to the countryside. Okay. No, I see your point now. Like like I said, I never looked at him being a priest in that eye, which now makes me kind of appreciate that a little bit more at the end. And I never really kind of like, I kind of always kind of thought that was just thrown in. And I was just like, even going back and rereading, I was like, 
I, I don't know about that. Like, like, but I see what you're, you're saying. Now, I want to talk about one of the stupidest things I always hate in this comic. Is when, and it, it's a very small scene, but it's when he's on the cruise ship. On the little ship. Oh, is it when he throws the lady overboard? Yeah, and he's wearing a mask. I'm sorry. You do not have a mask that accurate. And then just take it off like Mission Impossible style. Also, it's 1930. <laughs> it, was, it was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I, was, I literally sat there and I was like, who is that? I was like, who is this man? And then he pulled off the mask and I was like, it is 1930. I was like, I don't, I don't know, Brandon. I don't know if you have seen pictures of Halloween costumes from the 1930s. It's nothing like that. <laughs> um, but those are what masks looked like, or even like pictures of like actors from the 30s. If anything, they're using stage makeup. They're not using masks liquid latex isn't really a thing <laughs> he knows the question we got him you know I, he, he got... Um, I mean even if we even if we just look at like prosthetics from the 30s like right i again but... it's one of those things where like this guy am i supposed to be rooting for this guy you want me to think he's cool you're no. just you're just like gary stewing this guy right <laughs> Now, let's go to the last part of this story. Um, Looney's death. Connor, Connor Looney. What was your take on his death? Because mind you, even though the Capones were holding or hiding him, at this point, after the ship scene, they felt that the Looney's business wasn't really thriving for them. And they're pretty much all their assets are really just dwindling down. And Nettie is the one that throws the idea, like, even if we take Connor Looney out or allow him to do what he wants to do, we can still somewhat salvage what we have left of it and run with it. And it's still profitable. And Capone, it finally allows the hit to take place. And... What was, did you find somewhat satisfaction with it? Or do you feel like this was rushed? So I actually kind of liked the rush nature of it because it did feel very much like how these sorts of deals go down mm -hmm. where it's no, 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 no. Until suddenly, yes, at that exact moment. Right. Um, what I don't know that I like, and I know it's supposed to be poetic, Oh, it's coming back to the place where it all started. Um, I hated that they took her back to their hometown. I agree. And so um, that... I feel like it kind of ruined the entire point of them hopping around to all of these different places and doing all of these different things for them to take it back to where it began. It felt too on the nose. It didn't convey really any sort of like symbolism or meaning to me. It was just like uh, <laughs> cliche. Well. I can give you one more point. The killing in the movie does not take place in their hometown. Okay, okay so we have plus one and a half and well, minus well, six. Until, <laughs> until you hear where it is. It's in Chicago. It's in okay. The, it's in the, I'm okay with that. It's in the same hotel that Nettie is in. That Nettie, actually works for me. 
because yeah. Nettie is the one that orders the hit. You don't see Capone in the movie at all. It's Nettie that's mainly the main history guy. Like you, I mean, and that's that's pretty. Like and and for the actor who played him, I thought he did fantastic for what he was given. The shooting scene that you see with Nettie and him, and the first time you see Nettie doesn't happen. It is a small exchange. Um, they talk it over. There, he's trying to convince him to hand over Looney. But what they doesn't, what they don't know is both Looney's father and son are in that building. And it's actually really good how they set it up. And then Looney, after old man Looney dies in the movie, because he doesn't live like the book, he dies. Nettie orders the hit or allows Sullivan to do it. And even as guards go, go right ahead. We're not gonna. We're not going to stop you. Goes in there, shoots him, walks. I have a question for you, though. Okay. Um, in relation to all of these scenes, this idea of it not being over and the sort of torment, just kind of never ending. Do you know what perdition means? In this comic? No. Um, you, the, the word perdition, do you know what it means? I'm not going to lie. No, I don't. Um. So within the um, sort of Catholic faith, it is a state of eternal punishment into which a sinful and unrepentant person passes after death. So it's kind it's essentially like what happens when you go to hell. Um, and the number of times in this comic that it is talked about as what is hell mm -hmm. um like what do you what do you think like to be totally honest seeing that now with the definition i see that point of his vengefulness his hatred is what took over and that's why his son decided to go the life he did i can see that more now with seeing that i've i'll be honest i have never looked that word up because it was too big of a word for me i just went road to perdition done you know but that makes sense more now because it's the whole thing of that rage, that sadness, the guilt, that everything that was built up inside him is what took over. And essentially his son saw that out of him instead of seeing him as, like you said, an inspirational figure or somebody who is out to do right in the world. We don't see that. At this point, he's kind of like signed his death warrant in some ways to do what he's about to go do um and now that makes more sense why the son turns to becoming a priest at the very end of the story now let's ask you this because i think this is a good way to end the podcast given the scale of one to ten where are you ranking the book because at this point, I don't think I'm ever going to get you to attempt to watch the movie now at this no. point. <laughs> um, I, I'm going like a six and a half to a seven just because okay. I really cannot stand the way O'Sullivan is written. Um, The themes are great. I love the art, the coloring. Um, I love the way that they incorporated the mob. I, I love so much about this book. Mm -hmm. and then there's the actual 
way that the character of Sullivan was written, where it feels flat, it feels static. Um, and also, I just like he, he's not MacGyver. He's he's not like, like I would I would I would much rather watch like be strapped to a chair and watch eighty seven episodes of MacGyver in a row before I had to watch a movie about that guy. <laughs> now, I agree with you with the 7 out of 10. I I see that's where I kind of like the movie more. And it's hard for me to explain it because I feel like even though the concept of him and Junior are very important more in the comic and than what they do in the movie, I figured like it, what the movie does is what kind of like, okay, I could see that. Like, I can understand that. And instead of making it, like you said, a road to hell, it was like a road to redemption. And that's how they looked at it in the movie. I think Max Allen Collins is perfect for that. I think he... Now, let me ask you this. There is a second book. And it's kind of in between everything that transpired here. So it's kind of more on the road. So it's more like they're bank heists. They're more explaining their relationship a little bit better. Would you be tempted to read that now after reading this? And it's written I'm gonna by- I'm going to be honest. I do kind of like the ambiguity and how the bank heists become monotonous. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's so important that I wouldn't want them expanded on. Okay. Um, now I'm a detail person. Um, if you ever read anything I've written, I love details. Um, you've heard me talk, right? But <laughs> um, uh, I do, I do feel sometimes that this is like a less is more situation, where how little information we get about them tells more than what any amount of details could, because again, these are memories, and so if they become so monotonous, that says something. Right. Fans, let us know what you think about Road of Perdition. Um, let us know if what you love about it, what you hated about the story. Um, let us know. We want to hear what your guys' thoughts are. Um, always check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Comet Talkers. Check us out on our YouTube channel. Subscribe, hit the bell notification, and and what was it? And we got great content out there from 52 to history through comics through Star Wars. We got a lot. On top of it, you like this content. We also have other great comic book and anime content on Spotify for Podcasters, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, my name is Brandon. Hi, Mary. And may comics always be the top of your discussion.